Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Pod, where we're always talking everything college hoops and a few other items along the way. Thanks to Blog Talk Radio for powering us up and getting us out into your ears. Thanks for tuning in and carving out some time during your busy week or weekend. We know you could have been anywhere else on the dial, but you chose to be here with us, Mike and Gus. We appreciate that. So, listeners, we just wanted to give a little shout out and a little thank you and a little, man, wasn't that all right? Wasn't that solid? Wasn't that a good listen? To our guest, Kevin Connors from ESPN. Kevin Connors was nice enough to hop on the pod, give us a little mid-major talk, give us his final four. If you're looking for a little extra college basketball knowledge, please dial that podcast up over the weekend. It's a nice short listen. If you have a little errand that you need to run and you want some college basketball uh, information in your ear, dial that one up. Kevin was amazing. He was so kind, so generous with his time, um, and just a really, really genuine gentleman. Give him a follow at Kev Connors ESPN. He is the proprietor of KC's Mid-Major Minute, uh, one of the cool little uh, college basketball, uh, I don't know, segments or elements that you might find on SportsCenter that might not bore your mind out and be really intoxicating and uh, interesting uh, as he likes to talk mid-majors, just like we like to do here on the Screen the Screener Mid-Major Podcast. Welcome in, listeners. We know that you're looking forward to a little rundown. We're going to try to give you as much information as we can and not take up too much of your time over the busy weekend. So why don't we dive right into it, listeners? We're going to start this week in the SOCON. That's right. There was an upset Southern Conference. Conference leader East Tennessee State falls to UNC Greensboro. That's right, UNCG gets the win, 74-56. Got my eyes on this game for a little while. Interesting thing here was that Greensboro seemed to be the more connected team. Team that definitely was a little bit more oiled on the offensive end. East Tennessee State seemed a little lumbering, a little lethargic, a little out of sorts. The win for Greensboro leaves them at 20-6. and 11 and 2 in conference overall. East Tennessee State is now 22 and 5, 13 and 1 overall. Any slip-ups from East Tennessee State further definitely gives Greensboro a little shimmer of hope. It's a cool little sequence in this game when I was watching it. There was a, a touch pass in from the post. Um, Cooper tapped it out to Smith for three, and that three helped put it away for Greensboro and stretched the the lead to double digits. You know, Devon, De, De, Bradford did everything he could for East Tennessee State. He had 22 points, but he didn't get enough help on the road. And you know, like Mike and I say all the time, if you're a big-time team and you're trying to get a big win on the road in conference against a rival, against uh, you know a team that's positioned right next to you, coupled up right next to you in the standings, you're going to need some help. You just can't rely on your stud on the road. At home, that's a different story. But on the road, you're going to need somebody else to step up and play a little bit out of character. East Tennessee State did not get this particular game, even though Bradford put up 22 points. Hey, how about we congratulate and give some kudos to 6'3 Francis Alonso from Spain. 
Dude ran for 20 points, hit three threes. Demarius Troy went for 17 points and four threes. Now we just mentioned that you need somebody to play out of character to get some of these big wins, and Troy was the candidate for UNCG. Dude averages under seven points a game, and he went for 17 in this game. And when you get a big-time performance from one of your role players who steps up and totally plays out of his head and really goes for his, that's how you pull a nice win at home when you're maybe not favored. So, moving forward, there's only one game separating these two in SoCon. It's going to be interesting to pay attention to both of these teams moving forward. See if what team might slip up, especially with every team in the nation, from the number one team in the nation, Villanova, all the way down to New Mexico State, 26th ranked team in the nation, according to the voting, also got slipped up as well. So you want to pay attention to see if there's any slip-ups along the way in the SOCON. Moving on, one of the most exciting games and unpredictable games, and one of those games where you looked at like the win percentage with two minutes to go, and guess what? Colgate was probably like 95% to win, right, in the Patriot? They were up like eight or nine points with about 45 seconds to go, and somehow Bucknell pulls the upset comeback win when they were down double digits in the second half and beats Colgate 65-64. The game leaves Colgate at 11 and uh, I'm sorry, 14 and 11, 9 and 5 in conference. Bucknell is now 18 and 9, 12 and 2 in conference. This was for first and second place in the conference. Colgate coming in in second, obviously Bucknell leading. You know, Colgate takes this game. It's a whole different story. Bucknell has three losses. Colgate only has four. Same situation as the SoCon. One game separating first and second. Any slip-ups along the way. And Bucknell is vulnerable. But Bucknell gets the gigantic shot. Gigantic. From Kimbrell McKenzie. The game winner from the corner for three. Cans it. You love that all five players touch the ball on that final play. And man... Bucknell was down eight with under a minute to play and came all the way back. It's very rare that you see one of these comebacks, but man, Bucknell pulled it off. And then Bucknell followed it up with a 95-53 win over Loyola on Wednesday. But kudos to McKenzie. We, I mean, shout out to him for making that game winner. You love that a role player like McKenzie is going to get that moment and has that defining moment in his college career where he made a difference on a potentially uh, championship winning team in conference like Bucknell. Time to head to the MEAC. You like points? We got points. You like scoring? We got scoring. You like up and down? Like up and down. We got it in the MEAC. North Carolina, A&T, Savannah State, both put up 100. Savannah State <laughs> wins the contest 108-106. Savannah State came in. 13 and 13, uh, and ends the contest 13 and 13, 10 and 1 in conference overall. North Carolina A&T, 15 and 11, 8 and 3 overall, and now fall into a second place tie with Bethune Cookman in the MIAC. Javaris Jenkins, 21 points, four threes, three blocks. Either one of these teams is going to be an interesting 16 seed. Because Savannah State just puts up 100 after 100 after 100. Wouldn't it be really interesting? Wouldn't it be really fascinating? Wouldn't it just be like an unbelievable case study to see if Savannah State gets their automatic bid and wins the, the conference title 
and then is matched up against UVA? Wouldn't you want to see a team that puts up 100 point after 100 point after 100 point game versus the very defensive minded and the number one defensive team ranked in Ken Palm, UVA Cavaliers? I would. I mean, Mike Randall's been kind of on this little crusade that saying that maybe this is the year where a, seven, uh, a 16 beats a 1. Isn't that maybe the scenario where that could happen? Where a team that gets up and down like Savannah State absolutely just like beats any sort of uh, defensive mechanism or, 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 or blueprint that UVA could put up and get started before they can even get their feet set in the paint and just gets a score? It's an interesting thing paying, uh, moving forward. I mean, I think that might be one of the scenarios where a 16 could beat a 1. Got to head to the America East next and, and, and you know, give our now, it seems like weekly, you know, shout out to Vermont and ahoy to Vermont. Vermont wins another game against, uh, uh, you know, New Hampshire here. Uh, Vermont wins uh, 71-58. That leaves them at 22-5 and 12-0. and 12 and 0. In conference New Hampshire is now 10 and 17 6 and 7 in conference and Cam Ward of all people leads Vermont with 14 points Trey Bell Haynes had foul trouble and how had four fouls with over 10 minutes to go in this game and was limited with his playing time and obviously his impact on the floor was also uh, hampered by this foul trouble and Drew Urquhart uh, Ever Duncan, you know, did their thing. They pitched in with double digits, and this team just continues to find ways to win. This game was tied at the half, so Vermont continues to play close games in the America East without their best player, Anthony Lamb. And Anthony Lamb was due for the doctor's appointment today. We're waiting to hear what his timetable might be. Early reports are is that the foot is healthy and that he can resume basketball activities. So perhaps he has a path to get back on the Catamount roster by postseason play. That's right, by America East postseason play. Window looks to be about two weeks. So we wanted to thank Alex Abrami for the shout out there and the little heads up on on giving us uh, some insider information saying that Lamb was going for the doctor's appointment today and we'll find out more. And luckily, some people got their hands on that very report and they said that Lamb can start practicing again with the team. That is nothing but good news for the Catamounts in an already amazing season for Vermont. Yo, time to head out to the Big West. Huge game in the Big West. You got uh, UC Santa Barbara going to Long Beach State. You know, we say sometimes these road games, very tough in conference. Santa Barbara takes care of business. And you know what? They took care of business early in this game. Santa Barbara and the Gauchos, uh, they win 80-70 to 70 over Long Beach State. This win now leaves... UC Santa Barbara at 20-5 overall and 9-2 and in conference. And the loss leaves Long Beach State 13-15 and 7-5 and in conference. Now the Gauchos for 16 turnovers in this game. And it leaves them with a giant showdown with UC Davis later on for a showdown for first place in the conference. Now UC Santa Barbara has a game up since they already defeated UC Davis earlier this season. But that is is where the conference stands right now for the Big West. Leland King, the second, does his thing, goes for a double-double. 20, 15, five assists. Gabe Vincent, the selfless senior, continues his solid play as of late, goes for 19. Max Haydinger, 
very quiet, very pedestrian game for him, a little bit out of character, 16 points. But like we said, if you're going to get a big win on the road in conference, you need your stud to play well and you need a little help. Haydinger was their stud. He played just fine, 16 points, got help from Vincent and King. That's why US, uh, uh, UC Santa Barbara pulled out the win on the road at a very tough place to play at the beach. They jumped out to an early lead and just held on to that the second half and held on late when uh, Long Beach State made it live and put up, uh, I think, over 50 points in the second half. But you see Santa Barbara, the Gauchos in command out in the Big West. Time to check in on the WAC. Uh-oh. One of our faves, New Mexico State, fell victim to that tough road game against Utah Valley and the Wolverines. Wolverines pull the slight upset and win 86-79 to over New Mexico State and the Aggies. The loss leaves New Mexico State at 22-4, 9-1 in conference. And Utah Valley and the Wolverines are now 18-8, 7-3 in conference. Seems like Utah Valley might have uh, leapfrogged Grand Canyon as the second best team in the conference. And you heard Kevin Connors champion Utah Valley and their roster and their coach Pope. And they said he said that this would be a dangerous team in the tournament if they got the automatic bid and won the tournament outright. That means the WAC could possibly get good two teams, two invites, if that was the case. Because New Mexico State is trending in the right direction prior to this loss. Uh, as far as rankings and seedings go in all the bracketology that we've seen out there. Want to give uh, Kenneth o, uh, Obi from Utah Valley his props, 22 points, four threes. Brandon Randolph helped out with 17. And the defense just wasn't there for New Mexico State. You know, New Mexico State was a top 10 uh, you know, defensively ranked team in Ken Palm for pretty much the whole season during the last month, and you expected them to play a little stouter defense, and it just wasn't there, giving up 86 points. So I think if you're going to point the, the finger somewhere, it seemed like they played efficiently enough on the offensive end with 79 points and a ton of assists in this game. But it seems like the defensive end is where they struggled here. The, their 11-game winning streak is snapped. Um, back to the drawing board for New Mexico State. You want to see how they rebound after a tough road loss to Utah Valley? Congratulations, Wolverines. Got to talk a bit about the Mountain West showdown this week, right? We had Nevada going to Boise State. Uh, Nevada gets the win, 77-72. There's a couple of other things to talk about in this game besides just the, the outcome, right? So we have Nevada 22-5, uh, and 11-2 and in conference overall. Boise State is now 20-6. and six. Uh, 10 and 4 in conference. And Kendall Stevens, Caleb Martin do their thing, 21 points apiece. Kendall Stevens hit a couple bombs from deep. Man, is he good. Caleb Martin did a little bit of everything. He had to run a little point in the second half. And Jordan Caroline finished the game at the line where he had struggled in previous situations with Texas Tech uh, and TCU, uh, where, where they did not close out the deal with. Caroline and those opportunities at the line so he made sure that he made his two free throws under under uh, 20 seconds to play to make sure that Nevada could seal out this win uh, Hutchinson had a little bit of an off game scoring wise and he had an opportunity you know the, the future NBA draft pick had a 10 footer pull up 
uh, to tie the game, and then he had a, you know an open three in the corner off a broken play and an offensive rebound, um, you know to take the lead and give Boise some life uh, late in the game with under a minute to play. He couldn't connect on either one of those uh, either one of those opportunities. Cody Martin hits a couple free throws with uh, 10 seconds to play to really seal it up. But I think the the big thing here is is the Drew injury, right? Lindsey Drew, who's been their their point guard all season, he's been the the majority. Uh, done the majority of the ball handling for this team hasn't been a great scorer but it hasn't needed to be I mean they have great scorers all over the floor they have Stevens who can bomb from deep uh, Caleb is an unbelievable shot maker uh, Cody does a little bit of everything in the post and driving uh, Caroline obviously is a bull down low and gets some offensive rebounds and you know is, is a mismatch on, on the offensive end if you put a small or a big on him uh, and of course they have Hall coming off the bench to do some damage as well um, so, you know, Drew hasn't had to do a lot of offensive scoring for them, but he has been one of the most constant settling players on this team. So you want to see what Coach Musselman does moving forward without a ton of options for ball handlers. I'm sure Hall will help out. I think uh, Cody is going to take over some of the ball handling as well. And I think they're just going to do what they've done all season. And they're going to play even further positionless basketball that's one of the you know the terms that we throw around with this team one of the te- one of the terms we've thrown around with smu um, one of the terms that we've thrown around with uh, even kentucky this year where they you know don't necessarily have defined def- positions but one of the things that was pretty defined for uh nevada was that drew was going to take good care of the ball and now that he's going to be out for the rest of the season i I'm, I'm intrigued to see what they do but i obviously i think they're just going to do it by committee and they have enough great players, a great student athletes to do that. So I think they're going to lean on Cody and Hall to take care of some of the ball handling. And I bet Caleb even does some of the ball handling too and does some of the offensive initiation. So I, I think that's interesting moving forward. Uh, I think now Nevada gets into a Duke and uh, Villanova situation where maybe their depth now becomes something to pay attention to. Does foul trouble come into play? Uh, does a back-to-back situation now come back to hurt them with all of those guys playing heavy minutes? You're not sure, right? You, you just want to you, you see how this is going to break down. I still have faith in Mus- Musselman. I still have faith in their roster and the guys that they have healthy and in uniform. And you know what? Maybe this provides a cool opportunity for somebody on the bench that hasn't had a chance to play and gets that five minutes where they hold the fort down, where they really, really need some quality minutes, and that player gets championed. And you know how Coach Musselman does with these like little moments that to celebrate. So I, I'm, I'm thinking he's going to build towards one of these moments, and then maybe in like the Mountain West uh, tournament, he leans on one of those guys for about 10 minutes and then makes a gigantic deal out of it and champions that guy that whoever that player might be on the bench that may not even be a scholarship player currently, uh, maybe a walk-on or maybe somebody else, uh, where he really, he he says, this is the defining moment of our season. And it's because of that player that is undefined right now for Nevada. Uh, How about we head to the SWAC? Next, we've got to hit up uh, Grambling and Texas Southern. Now remember, if you hit the rewind button, Mike said that Texas Southern might be one of his Santa Claus rally teams where they just kind of get rolling and get things right. I think they were 0-13 coming into conference play, and uh, things haven't gotten according to plan. 
They haven't had Demontre Jefferson, who is one of the leading scorers in the nation, available due to suspension and some other issues. So I don't know if the uh, the, the script that Mike thought that Texas Southern was going to follow actually, uh, you know, follow through. But Grambling beats Tux- Texas Southern on the road. Grambling is now 14 and 12, 10 and 3 in conference. The loss leaves Texas Southern at 8 and 17, 7 and 5 in conference. Uh, Grambling wins 78-55, and Grambling is now alone in first place thanks to the Arkansas Pine Bluff game that they dropped during the week. And so Grambling is now alone in first place in the SWAC. Ivy Smith Jr. went for 22 and 7. Uh, Alex uh, Alex Empoyo went for 12 and 12. And they had a 41-19 lead at halftime. Now, Demontre Jefferson did make an appearance. He is back. He did have 16 points for Texas Southern. So maybe they get their ship righted and, and can run the table in the conference tournament. But Grambling right now is running the show in the SWAC. I think that's pretty cool. Last stop on the mid-major roundup has to be out in the WCC. St. Mary's definitely found the same situation that Purdue is in, the same situation that uh, you know Coach Matt Painter is faint- facing. The blueprint is out there to how to beat them, and San Francisco followed it. We talked San Francisco earlier on the podcast. They're not afraid of these big teams coming in. Um, they already have a win over the previous mentioned Nevada. Uh, they played Gonzaga tough when Gonzaga came in there, and guess what? San Francisco got their signature win the WCC for this season. They win 70-63. to 63. Frankie Ferrari hit a key layup with about under a minute to play, and he had 20 points. He was the best player on the floor for the San Francisco Dons, and he helped pull this gigantic upset. This is a two-game losing streak for the St. Mary's Gales, and the Gales are now in trouble uh, and in peril for getting an at-large bid after dropping a blowout game to Gonzaga and losing this game on the road to San Francisco. They might have to make it all the way to the uh, WCC championship game and maybe even get the automatic bid. We'll take a look at some of the bracketology projections coming out Monday after this game. But St. Mary's seems like they're in a little bit of trouble, and people have figured out if we can, if we can limit Landell and his touches and his scoring opportunities, then St. Mary's is a limited offensive team, pa- uh, partially due to their pace of play and the and, and their offensive uh, game plan by controlling clock. And once they get down and get in some trouble and get into a tight situation, it gives everybody an opportunity. And San Francisco took full advantage of that opportunity. Congratulations to those Dons out there. Nice upset. And then, of course, you got to check in with, uh, you know, one of my faves, Gonzaga. Gonzaga does their thing against Loyola Marymount. 76-46. Yikes. Gonzaga just got out early, and they stayed out. The Zags have a huge problem. They have a big problem. Here's their problem. Three of their best players, Kispert, Norvell, Hachimura, two of those players come off the bench. Let's just call it what it is right now. Those are three of their best players. We can say we can say Tilly. Tilly's been unbelievable this year. He's been an unbelievable, agile Great shooting big. Uh, Tilly has proved that he is now on NBA radars and, and will probably get a sniff from, from the NBA draft moving forward. You know, Perkins and, and, and Melson, unbelievably solid backcourt. Totally underrated. Jonathan Williams has now found his role. 
He's not trying to do too much. He's averaged a double-double over the last five games, just doing exactly what his role entails. And I think the emergence of those three, Kitzburg, Norvell Jr., and Hachimura, has allowed Williams to take and find his perfect role on this team to have success. So Gonzaga has a problem, and it's the best problem you can have. When you're going to have two of your three best players come off the bench because that's the best lineup for your team and the best lineup for total success, that's the best problem to have. So Coach Few is going to downplay this thing, and he's going to slow play it because he's, he's holding aces. He's holding ace-king suited he's holding a pair of kings and guess what nobody knows it nobody's aware of it everybody thinks he's slow playing maybe you know he's got a, a low pocket pair maybe a couple fives he's waiting for the flop see if he gets a third five nah nah coach few is playing from the advantage position and i don't think anybody realizes it so when they blow through the west coast tournament get another championship, hold up that trophy, get under-seeded, four, five, six, you know, whatever they decide to give them. Be careful. And please remember that when you turned in to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast, we told you way early on that this team is an issue, and it's an issue because two of their three best players come off the bench. What a lovely problem to have. All right, listeners, now that we've given you our, our rundown of the games, time to get into a smidgen of Dr. Tony trivia. We just want to say congratulations to Z from the lawn. Z from the lawn chimed in and gave us the answer for our last, pod, uh, our last podcast question, which was uh, name the four coaches since 1980 who have coached their teams to three consecutive Final Fours. Uh, a couple of these were kind of easy. Of course, Coach K, Duke, uh, he actually did it five in a row. <laughs> And if you extend it a bit out, he did it uh, seven out of nine years, which is a little nutty uh, from, uh, (laughs) you know, in in the late 80s and early 90s, which is kind of crazy. So Coach K is obviously one of the answers. Uh, Coach Izzo, uh, 1999, 2000, 2001. Don't forget about Ben Halland. And the strange thing about this is Halland got asked to leave UCLA the year after the final, final four that he made with Westbrook and Love and that crew. Uh, he made it 2006, 2005, I'm sorry, 2006, 2007, and 2008. And uh, we gave you a hint on the last one. The last one was one of our first guests on the Screen to Screener podcast was the producer of the 30 for 30 uh, about Phi Slamma Jamma and Houston, Guy V. Lewis. Guy V. Lewis led Houston to three straight Final Fours, 1982, 1983, 1984 with that five slam and jamma team that kind of helped shape uh, modern basketball and give us the basketball that we loved in the uh, 80s and 90s in the NBA. Uh, so it is Coach K, Coach Izzo, Coach Howland, and Coach Lewis and Z from the lawn. Congratulations, ahoy. Well done. Thank you for playing along. Uh, a couple other people uh, answered the question correctly via email if you like what you're listening to. And you want to answer the trivia question this week, please hit us up on Gmail, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Follow, give us a follow on Twitter. We'd love to interact with you that way if that's your uh, mode of communication. podcast 
efficiency of keystrokes. Of course, you looking for a little screen-to-screen or podcast uh, content and print? Go ahead. I dare you. Hit up Mike's awesome site, RandallRant.com. He's got some fantasy football stuff up there for you. He also has a short corner. The short corner is a deep dive into Mike Randall's college basketball mind and what might be floating around there. I dare you to go ahead and read that thing. You're just going to get educated once you check into that. So uh, you're looking for some screen-to-screen or in print there. Um, And don't forget to give Mike a follow on Twitter, at RandallRant, of course. He's entertaining and educational, as I like to say. All right, so this week's uh, Dr. Trivia... Uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Tony trivia question is going to be pretty simple. Uh, We want you to think trees. We want you to think coaching trees. I'm going to give you four coaches. You tell me what tree they came from. Who is the coach that all four of these coaches coached under? Okay, so here here are the branches of the tree. You uh, You give me the roots of the tree. You give me the bark of the tree. You give me the base of the tree. Here are the here are the branches. John Gross, Archie Miller, Brad Stevens, Sean Miller. One more time. John Grossi, Archie Miller, Brad Stevens, Sean Miller. What one coach did those four excellent, excellent college basketball coaches coach under? You know the answer? Hit us up. SDSpodcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks, guys. Yo, guess what? Yo, I got next. Stretching out on the side. Got a couple between leg dribbles. Sitting down. Stretching out the calves. I got next. I got my squad. Yo, we got next. Gus got next. Just let you know what we're doing for Gus got next. I'm just going to highlight... Four excellent performances on the mid-major level. And guess what? We're running all week at the Y on the blacktop. And we're not getting off until next week. We're winning that game to 21. You know who I got on my squad? Yeah, that's right. I got Ryan Richardson from Weber State. Richardson went for 27. He had eight in OT. Crunch time points in a 95-86 win over Portland State. And that's now eight straight wins for Weber State. Look out for Weber State. Remember, we talked to Brandon Garside preseason as one of our, uh, you know, chats of a couple of teams that we were interested in. He gave us a little rundown of Weber State. You want to go back and listen to that podcast, do it up. Brandon did a great job giving us a rundown of Weber State. Richardson, he's with me on my squad. You know, we get in a late game situation. Maybe, you know, we get tied at 21. We go into a little overtime. I'm giving it to Richardson. He puts it up in overtime, gets it done. Yo, I got Jonathan Stark, Murray State. That's right. Jonathan Stark from Murray State played all 40 minutes in a 68-60 win over Jacksonville State. Stark went for 32 points, 5 assists, 4 rebounds, doing his usual work that he loves. Stark is among the front runners for conference player of the year. So I got Stark doing a little bit of everything and he's not getting off the court. He don't need a drink. He doesn't need anything. He's good to go. Whole entire run. Whole entire run. You know who else I got? I got freshman RJ Cole from Howard. One of the most underrated freshmen in the country. You know, we talk about Aiden. We talk about Bagley. Talk about Trey Young. So all these freshmen doing their work. RJ Cole from Howard is nasty. 
Dude went for 18, nine boards, six assists, two steals, and an 84-56 win over uh, Maryland Eastern Shore. So I got R.J. Cole, the youngsters, running with us. And you know who else we got? Don't worry. Game gets close to the end. You know who we're giving the ball to? That's right. We're giving it to Grant Riller, the College of Charleston. Dude hit a three in overtime against JMU to win it with under five seconds to play, coming off his career-high 37-point game earlier in the week. Grant Riller is going to be our late-game closer. So, yo, I got next. My squad is Ryan Richardson from Weber State, going for 27 and a nice win over Portland State. Got Jonathan Stark from Murray State playing all 40 minutes, going for 32, doing his thing in a win over Jacksonville State. He's only responsible for over half his team's point in that win. Love what Jonathan Stark brings to the table. Got freshman R.J. Cole. Youngster's going to do a little bit of everything, be uber athletic for us on the wing. And then we get in a late game situation. Look out, we're giving it to Riller, College of Charleston. You better cover him from 25 feet out because he's going to drill it. That's my squad. We're not getting off till next week. Yo! All right, listeners, one more topic to cover, then we'll go over some games for the weekend. I thought this thing might be interesting to pay attention to. We wanted to give a little shout-out uh, to Kevin Lydell, the Coloradian.com. Um, he wrote an interesting letter. He wrote a letter to Becky Hammond. Becky Hammond, famous for being one of the first, the first female assistant coach in the NBA with the San Antonio Spurs under Coach Popovich. She was a coach for their summer league team as well. Becky Hammond got a letter written to him, to her. And it said, Dear Becky, Colorado State needs you. Fort Collins needs you. Moby Madness is dormant, quote, unquote. The letter goes on and says that Hammond should come back and she should be the leader for the Colorado State program moving forward due to the disruption, the, I don't know, adversarial atmosphere that is taking place now that Larry Eustachy has been removed from his head coaching position and now the assistant coach that took over for Coach Eustachy is also on administration, administrative leave. The team seems to be in a little bit of disarray and needs is in a desperate cry for leadership. So... Uh, our guy, Kevin Lytle, said, hey, how about Becky Hammond? Now, you may say, what? A woman? A woman? Coaching a man's, men's team? What are you even talking about? How is that going to work? How is, that, how, how is she going to go into somebody's living room and recruit, high-level recruit? How, how is she going to convince people to come to her school to play? That's not what it's about. It's about getting the climate right. It's about fixing what's wrong. And it's about doing the right thing. Now, is Becky Hammond going to be the hire there? No, I, I don't know. Probably not. But does this open the eyes and start the conversation in the right direction? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, not only do they really need to address this and get this right, but they they might need to harken back to, you know, she's the best college basketball player there, period. Men's or women's, no doubt. Uh, she's one of the best players in WNBA history. Uh, she's coached under one of the best coaches, if not the best coach. Uh, one of the top five coaches 
ever in the NBA, Coach Popovich. Um, and she's coached the, the Spurs Summer League team, as we've mentioned before. Uh, Pop really likes her, speaks highly of her. Uh, you know, you ever watch her play? She can ball out. She's got clout on that end. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what I'm going to tell you, listeners. I'm going to open the door a little bit, lift the curtain a tiny bit. I grew up in a household with no father. Grew up with my grandparents. Single family, a uh, single parent home. I was highly influenced by female characters during my childhood and brought me to a good point. So if somebody like Becky Hammond were to come into my living room and recruit me for whatever sport it was, I was a Division I scholarship athlete, yeah. played the game, you know, went through all the letters, opened all the envelopes, so on and so on. You know, weighed all my options, decided where I was going to go. Was very happy with where I decided to end up and uh, compete at the highest level on a, you know, Division One nationally ranked team. She came into my living room. I'd listen. And there's plenty of people like me out there. There are plenty of people, plenty of teenagers, that are just like me that grew up in a home just like I did. Out there. I would be very willing to listen to her pitch. It, it will not be a deterrent whatsoever. So anybody that's looking at this through those eyes is 100% complete, completely wrong. End of sentence. Wrong. There's going to be plenty of people, plenty of teenagers out there that have been influenced, raised by females due to their, you know, home life. And that unfortunately, or fortunately, that's the way it works out for a lot of you know, a lot of youngsters out there. No matter what neighborhood you grow up in. So I think this is kind of a fascinating story moving forward because the point is going to get brought up that how is she going to do this? And I'm just going to say right away, it's going to be easy. It's going to be the easiest sell that there is. She is going to take care of those kids. She's going to coach them the absolute right way in the best fashion that they will probably ever be coached in. And she has, you know, she has the cachet of saying, yeah, Coach Pop did this. Tim Duncan did this. Kawhi Leonard did this. Tony Parker did this. I did this as one of the best players in WNBA history. That's going to work. So wherever she ends up, with the head coaching position next to her name, it's going to be a victory. It's going to be a victory on multiple fronts. Uh, it's going to work swimmingly. It's going to be a gigantic success. So, Colorado State, maybe answer that letter. Maybe pay attention to that cry. I don't know. Maybe look into it. Might be the way that you need to go. Because there's plenty of teenagers out there high-level student-athletes, Division One, that would see her and be like, oh, okay, that works. She's just another female role model that I could follow. And that's what I've been doing my entire childhood. I'm cool with that. In fact, I'm way cool with that. All right, listeners, let's get into a little game rundown. We'll get you guys out of here. Sound good? we got some Saturday games to pay attention to. And, yo, these Friday games are lit 
um, you know, St. Bonnie's and URI. Oh, man. I mean, if Mobley goes off, look out. If Mobley has a game, URI might lose their first game in conference all season. That's what I'm going to say about that game. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we have Northern Kentucky and Wright State. I think that's a game worth paying attention to for seeding uh, in the conference. You know, two of the top three teams in the conference there. Um, you want to see if Oakland can get it straight against Cleveland State? Is Oakland going to get this thing right at all this year? I, I don't know. Um, Bowling Green is going to come to Buffalo. You want to see if Buffalo continues. Uh, Browns at Harvard. Uh, you want to see if Harvard gets this thing uh, uh, and keeps it rolling. And you heard Kevin Connor saying Harvard could be one of the teams. I think Aiken needs to get healthy. But I'm going to tell you right now, um, uh, Yugzin is, is playing really well. He's an intriguing player. He's like a bigger wing that handles the ball. I'm really intrigued with if he and Towns can play together. I'm totally down with that. And then the Saturday games, uh, you got Texas at Oklahoma. Uh, is the size of Texas going to totally be a problem for Oklahoma? Uh, I can see Texas going in here and, and making it messy. Uh, Trey Young and his penetration might be deterred by Bamba and the size inside. And like I said before in this previous matchup, I think Texas actually matches up really well athletically on the perimeter with Young. So I think that's not going to change here. Uh, how about Providence coming off their big win, going to Butler? Uh, are they going to follow up the Villanova win with uh, a, another big win on the road? That's interesting to pay attention to. How about Alabama at Kentucky? I think two teams that are in a similar uh, situation seeding-wise for March currently, anywhere from the 6 to 9 seed. Uh, I think whoever gets the win here obviously bolsters their resume. And like Mike said, he really likes Alabama. I think Alabama might get it done on the road here, and especially if Kentucky continues not to play uh, with any passion on the defensive end and can't identify who their stud is going to be. Uh, how about number 10, Auburn, going to South Carolina? South Carolina, always a tough place to play. You know Mrs. Mike Randall is going to be live on this game and probably give Mike some texts. Uh, will Auburn be able to win in a tough place to play in South Carolina? And is South Carolina healthy enough to give Auburn a run? So a little conflicting uh, pace of play here in styles. Uh, Texas A&M goes to Arkansas. Uh, I'm going to say careful, Texas A&M. Arkansas is always live at home. I don't know if that's a gimme game right there. I'd pay attention to that. Uh, how about UC Davis and UC Santa Barbara for first place out in the Big West? That's a big showdown. Give me the home team there. Give me the Gauchos. Uh, how about number 20, West Virginia at number uh, 13, Kansas? Two teams kind of you're, you're, you're head-scratching about, right? I mean, Kansas has got one of the top uh, you know, eight seeds in the, in the bracket uh, preview, and West Virginia didn't get anything. So you want to see if West Virginia maybe uses that as bulletin board material. Um, is Kansas, do they have enough depth to figure this thing out? I think Lightfoot gets exposed here, and I think that West Virginia and their bench plays really well. So give me West Virginia on the road here. Uh, you want to see what number 18 Tennessee does against Georgia. Uh, can, I love the matchup of, of, of Williams and Yante Maton there. That's an unbelievable matchup. Two you know, top candidates for player of the year in the SEC. Uh, totally got to pay attention to what Nevada does against Utah State, right? Want to see what they do with that point guard situation. Want to see if they get it figured out. Who's going to fill a couple more minutes off the bench there for, for the Wolfpack? Um, how about Texas Tech at Baylor? You know, Baylor is kind of getting their act together here. And is te can Texas Tech get a complimentary performance next to Keenan Evans on the road to get another tough road win in the Big 12? You don't know. I'm not sure. How about Texas UNT, uh, UT Arlington 
heading to a conference leader, Louisiana. Is this the game where Arlington kind of gets back on track and says, yeah, don't forget about us. We're going to be an issue come uh, tournament time. Or does Louisiana continue their dominance of the conference? Good game to pay attention to. How about UNC and Louisville? Give me UNC big time there. I think UNC is going to roll. I think North. I think Louisville is going to try to run with UNC and UNC with this like smaller death lineup. I don't think Louisville has a chance there. Uh, you want to pay attention to Yale Harvard, of course. Uh, does Harvard run into an issue playing back-to-back games? The Ivy does this all the time, so you're just not sure. And uh, of course, we got to pay attention to uh, Marquette at Creighton. Uh, both of these teams in the Big East and the grind. Uh, are definitely in the mix for an NCAA bid. Marquette desperately, definitely is in this with a little bit more desperation than Creighton. So maybe Marquette and their desperation can get a road win at Creighton. And then I think we just have to end in Cincinnati, right? We got the two biggest games of the weekend in one place. We got Villanova, Xavier, and then we have Wichita State, and Cincinnati. Cincinnati coming off that tough loss to Houston and Rob Gray. Want to see if they get it straight. If Wichita State wins this game. They are back in the running for a regular season title. And Cincinnati is then vulnerable with one more matchup to come. The next one coming at Wichita State. And then what else do you want from the Big East? You got two top five teams. You got two teams that garnered number one seeds in the bracket preview show. And they're facing off at Xavier. Awesome. What an incredible weekend. If I was going to lean one way or another, I think Xavier, this might be the time where they get him. I think Blewett actually matches up really well with my uh, with, uh, with Bridges. And I think Xavier's bigs might give Villanova a little bit of problem, especially if they rotate all three of those guys out there. I don't think Gooden is going to be intimidated playing against Brunson. So give me Xavier at home. And if we're leaning one way or another, you know what? If Cincinnati can just pick up their pace of play a smidge, just a smidge, and play in the 70s, maybe even high 60s, they win this game. If this game, like, if this game is down in the low 60s or in the 50s, then Wichita State's going to win. I think if Wichita State can just, uh, if, if Cincinnati can just pick up their pace of play, I think they got a shot here. Both games are going to be unbelievable to watch. Can't wait to get my eyes on them. And, you know, if you are if you are like, uh, you know, Barstool Riggs and, 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 and in Cincinnati, what in the world? What else do you want? That's awesome. What a great weekend of college hoops. That's great. It's like the epicenter of college hoops this weekend. So listeners out there, thank you. Cheers. Salancha. Gratulatia. Uh, arigato. If you like what you're listening to, please don't forget to give us a five-star review uh, on uh, Apple iTunes uh, podcasts. Uh, we'd love to, uh, for you to leave a little comment and we'll give you a little shout out on the, uh, on the podcast. If you do, uh, thank you so much for that. And, uh, listeners, thanks for listening to the mid-major podcast. We'll catch up with you the next week. Mike and I'll be back. Cheers. I'm